The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
I want you to close your eyes if you're comfortable and imagine for a moment. You get to bed early, you have a great night of sleep, you wake before your alarm, 
What do you do with your newfound time? I know we have some early bird seize the day kind of folks in here, but for me, I always just bask in the cozy warmth, snuggle in my blankets, let my mind wander, maybe browse the internet on my phone. We usually think of inertia as movement, but as they say, an object at rest tends to stay at rest. Until I absolutely need to get up. I'm that way with a lot of things. I'm a voracious reader, but if I finish a book and I'm not sure what to read next, it might be a month before I even start on anything else. And instead of reading, I just stick with my warm, cozy, doom-scrolling Netflix. That's why when I finish a book, the very next thing I do is get another one. Having that habit means that I'll always have something queued up, so inertia doesn't keep me at rest longer than I should be. I think inertia is at play in the big stuff, too. Relationships, where we live, really how we spend all of our time. When I was growing up, inertia was always keeping me moving. I always had the next thing queued up. If you don't know me, I'm very type A. I do know how to relax and be low-key as well, but to be honest, that's because being low-key is a pretty valuable social skill, and as a good type A, when I see a skill, I want to master it. So in high school, when I had to choose which extracurricular to do, I decided on all of them. Uh, and I always had the next thing I needed to do. And then in college, even more. Uh, majors and internships and volunteering and starting a nonprofit. I had a voracious appetite for knowledge. And then graduating, getting an entry-level job and figuring things out and going for promotion and serendipitously finding the next job and so on. Always the next thing queued up, inertia always keeping me in motion. Until it wasn't. My previous job wasn't perfect, but it checked enough of the boxes. So I stayed there for a while. Wasn't totally happy, but I was comfortable. Cozy under the covers, doom scrolling even after my alarm went off. Leaving that job was the first time I really made a big life decision for myself when I didn't have the next thing queued up and know exactly what it was, when I didn't just serendipitously stumble onto the next thing, taking whatever path seemed natural, or really taking whatever path fit within the box that I or that our society had constructed for people like me. Doing the next thing that time was hard. My previous transitions were quick, quick and seamless affairs, but here, after I started feeling unhappy, it took me over a year before I realized that I wanted to leave the job, and then another half year before I found my current job. And every step of the way, I was second-guessing myself. Do I really want to leave? I like my coworkers, and I'm learning a lot. And if I did leave, what would I even do? Would I have to move, uproot myself? Do I want to move, uh, have a change of scenery, see the world? Would I need to take a pay cut? When all I cared about was moving forward, it was easy. There was always inertia keeping me on the path laid out by corporate America. There was always the next thing to do. But following somebody else's template won't get me where I want to be, won't make me the person that I want to be. 
and I had to sit with uncertainty and accept that I didn't know what was next in order to figure out my own approach, path, values. Now, I'm happy at my job, but there are still some other things where I'm comfortable. Maybe some of that languishing that Vanessa was talking about a few weeks ago. Warm under the covers, doom scrolling, unsure of what's next, not wanting to take that first terrifying step into the cold. But maybe, time to get up.
think even when the pandemic is over, when, when you both play, we're gonna open the door. Something about this breeze, I don't know if you feel it blowing through while you play, it just feels like it was meant to be with the music. Our reading this morning is from William Bridges, who wrote a classic book called Managing Transitions, Making the Most of Change. And since the Buddha's right and change is one of the constants, knowing how to make the most of it seems like a good thing. Bridges writes of this time between endings and new beginnings, the following. It's a very confusing state. Sometimes you feel empty, dead, flat, inert. You wonder if you'll ever feel like doing anything that takes effort and motivation again. You have to keep going, but your fantasies seem to involve quitting. By the way, this book was written a long time ago. Dropping out or getting away from it all. At other times, it seems like pure chaos. You're surrounded by conflicting signals and contradictory demands. One day, things seem to be moving forward. The next day, backwards. One day you feel hopeful, the next day there's no hope. Nothing makes sense. In the neutral zone, which is what he calls this time between endings and beginnings, you may feel you've lost your hold on what everyone blithely calls reality. And it sounds strange. And there may be days when you wonder whether you're crazy. Everyone's experience in the neutral zone is personal to them. These feelings aren't easy to talk about. The fact to remember is that they are normal. Here ends our reading.
Andre Gide, the French novelist, famously said, one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Gide was talking about change, part of what it requires, in part the leaving of old lands, the endings like what Allison preached about two weeks ago but also the risk and reality of what happens in between the goodbye to one shore and the landing on the next. William Bridges, whose book we read from this morning, talked about this too. He names how all change has two pieces. He talks about the change in circumstances. You may recall, if you were here two weeks ago, but then the inner work that happens if we let it in response to that change in outer circumstances. He calls the inner work transition to distinguish it from that outer circumstance or material transformation that he'd just simply called the change. So for instance, marriage, the act of getting married is a change. Transition is learning to live as a couple like the moment early in my married life when my husband came out of the kitchen carrying the pint of ice cream that was my flavor, having finished his own. And I said, that's my flavor. And he said, we're married, they're all our flavors. <laughs> Which I still have a little bit of a, well, anyway, but <laughs> it was convenient, as you can all tell, that sense of marriage. But still, I get the challenge. Or similarly, losing a spouse, the reality of it and the material things that happen, living alone in an apartment, making meals just for yourself, that's all change. The transition is what it means for you and your sense of yourself and your relationship to the world. We can continue to live the same way in the face of any change, but it's, it's odd and broken to do that, right? All change, to live into it, richly and meaningfully, it, it almost always requires that we learn to see ourselves differently in our relationship to the world and own that. And figuring out what that is, that's the transition piece. In all of our transitions then, there is this set of endings to be recognized. Often there are things in those endings to be mourned, whatever it was, maybe that we loved about our former self or life, possibly even parts of what that former self missed out on in life's possibilities. For instance, I once knew someone who had lived for years because of something that happened early in her life with a colostomy, but then new surgery made it possible for the doctors to not make the colostomy necessary. So she was liberated from that. And there was lots to celebrate, but she did spend some time in that ending, mourning the realization of all she had lost in her sense of what was possible for herself all those years when she was constrained by this reality. So endings are losses often, but so too are there things and endings to celebrate. Endings lived into is all of this. 
And then, of course, on the other side of change, there are new beginnings, the new job, the new career, the new relationship, the new city, the new relationship with our body, in the example I gave, you name it, whatever it is. And in between this ending and this time of beginning, there is this liminal space. There is this in-betweenness. I don't think it's something we actually talk a lot about in our society, maybe because we're so focused on the things we can get done, exactly what you were talking about, Sam. We just sort of stroke through life, and if we can't be stroking hard and fast and checking something off a box, we don't know what to do with it or how to live with it. But this liminal time, it's a bit like when the butterfly is in the chrysalis. No longer, I mean, the caterpillar is in the chrysalis. No longer a caterpillar, not yet a butterfly. It's what William Bridges calls the neutral zone. It's the little talked about neutral zone. And according to Bridges, it's the place where you and I do the richest inner work. It's the place of the richest preparation. Untethered somewhat from old ways of being, but not yet forced into new habits. It's this time when we actually can most easily rethink things, creatively reimagine our world, our lives, in organizations, he thinks it's the time when the greatest institutional innovation happens. It's when we prepare ourselves, not just for what's going to begin, but for how we are going to begin in it. The neutral zone, to give you an example, if we embrace it as a time of rich reimagining, could be that time after a romantic breakup when we reflect on what it is we want in a partner moving forward. What was the best of what we had and what would we actually like to leave behind and how would we like to be different in the next chapter of our romantic lives? But we'd have to resist a rebound relationship in order to claim that time for reflection. It's what I think many of us did naturally, and maybe out of habit in a way, still do in the summers because they always marked a time between one grade or high school and college or junior high and high school when we would often reflect as kids and young people about who we wanted to be and how we wanted to be when we stepped into a new year. My dad talks about resolving after high school when he was focused on other fun things in the universe, resolved to actually be a student and went from a C student on a good day to an A student. Or a woman I know who told me once about how she was such an extreme introvert, but in eighth grade she realized how lonely she was. So she resolved the summer between eighth and ninth grade to enter ninth grade when a lot of the kids were new in the high school as this bubbly extrovert. She sort of put on <laughs> a personage and entered as this extreme, ebullient <laughs> extrovert into high school and made a ton of friends and eventually found some place in between those two extremes that she could inhabit both her quieter self and someone who is deeply connected in a web of friendships that made her happier. 
So if you reflect, where are you finding yourself in a neutral zone right now? Well, I don't know how many of you heard what I heard in the reading this morning, though it was written decades before this moment, in that description of the neutral zone, something that sounded to me very much like where we find ourselves right now in the country, particularly around pandemic. It sounds a little bit like some pieces of languishing, I think. Increasingly, of course, there's the sense that pandemic fear and existential threat and tight constraints and uncertainties are largely over. <laughs> Life after pandemic is almost there for us to step into. But offices aren't reopened and mask mandates aren't lifted, and rightly so, and we're, this, we're in this limbo of transition. And so there's this sense, for me, I don't know about the rest of you, of being a little bit unmoored. That's very much the neutral zone. And the questions I hear more and more people asking are, what of pandemic do I want to take with me and what do I want to leave behind? Those are perfect neutral zone questions. What do I want to take with me from this chapter and what do I want to leave behind? What were the patterns of life before the pandemic that reflect values and priorities that are no longer important to me? And so how I'm going to make decisions that are different in the next chapter of life after it? All of these questions are questions that we ask when we are in a process of creatively re-engaging how we will step into the next chapter, in this case, life after pandemic. They are neutral zone questions as I hear them. And in church, too, I think we're creeping up on a neutral zone. Neutral zones don't actually begin exactly when an ending happens. I think those things are blurred, just like the stages of grief can be blurred. Endings are processes, and so we kind of bleed into and between them. As Allison disengages, we start to get triggered into wondering what life will mean without her to grieve, to give thanks but also to ask how we want to be when she's gone, what traditions we want to keep, where we may want to change, what possibilities open up right now, as it always is the case that possibilities open up in times of change. And I imagine that we're going to be in a time of reflection here through the summer and into the fall, bleeding into the new beginning as we start to stake out some new territory as a congregation, changed territory, changed ways of claiming it. But the key is to be in the neutral zone, not to rush through it, right, so that we miss the chance to ask these fertile questions and do this work of reflection and all that it richly invites us into that's rare and precious and of this moment. But often, you and I don't want to be in this zone. Henry Nouwen, the Dutch theologian and priest, loved the trapeze. He gave a talk years ago that Gwen Burens shared with me about how trapeze was a metaphor for life, he had decided, and particularly for change. 
In it, he talked about how in life, you're often like that person who is swinging on the bar in the circus, back and forth, and it all feels fine and good, and there's this rhythm to it. And then one day, you get the sense that maybe things need to change, and a time is approaching, and that feeling can build, and eventually, in your bones, you know it's time, though maybe you can't even say why sometimes, if you're lucky, if you're lucky to have time to prepare. You breathe, and you choose your moment, and like the trapeze artist, you let go. You let go of that bar that you're hanging onto, the familiar one that you liked well enough, the devil you knew, at the very least. And with the trapeze, as with life, unless there is foul play at the circus, there's always some other bar that is coming toward you. Sometimes it actually might be just outside the spotlight in the dimmed circus tent, and so a bit mysterious for a little while, beyond your imagining for a little while. But that bar of the future, it's coming toward you. The new beginning, the one you're going to grab hold of when the time comes. In Henry Nouwen's metaphor, then, the neutral zone is what? It's the time you're just flying through the air <laughs> with nothing to hold on to. And who knows, maybe there's no net. It's Andre Gide's quote we opened up with about how one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. The neutral zone is time out at sea with no shore visible. It's a time in which one is both radically free, which may be lovely, but also, and here is the other piece, can also be pretty scary. We humans, we generally like to have something to hang on to, right? But during this in-between time between various habits or pieces of our identity or plans, things that are generally stable and predictable for us, they might not always be that way. Which is why it can be confusing, as Bridges described in the reading, how despite all the gifts of insight and possibility and creativity that are possible in these times, we can also feel deeply out of sorts, scared, even depressed. So the challenge is, when we find ourselves in these times in life, to recognize them as such and to stay in them, to be with them, to trust in them so much that we resist grabbing hold of something, anything, just to get out of them. To not rebound into another relationship, to not rebound into some quick professional decision, to breathe in peace and to breathe out love and to pay attention and to work to keep reactivity low and to ask, what wisdom are we meant to consider in this moment, spirit of life?
What insights are coming up when I listen to the still small voice within, which I can so amazingly, more so in these times, what questions are bubbling up, even the hard ones? Alfred North Whitehead, the theologian, said, it must be admitted that there is a degree of instability which is inconsistent with civilization. But on the whole, the great ages have been unstable ages. Think of that, my friends, as something we can hold on to in our hands in such times as these. That the great ages are unstable ages. That great changes come out of these liminal places. To remember that in our transitions, as a nation, as a community, in our individual lives, that great things happen in this wild flight between bars when we have nothing to hang on to except for that. When we are at sea, one shore behind, one not yet visible. For us at church, I'll tell you, we're not gonna have a lot of programming this spring and summer because we'll have less staff, because we're all pretty exhausted after pandemic, but also just to make space to think. All of us, instead of going full throttle, grabbing hold of anything, to allow there to be this time like the board is taking today after church to ask the big questions about who we are now, about what is this virtual community that we've added to our own? What does that mean about how we may change our sense of ourselves permanently? That's all the neutral zone at work in us. Pandemic took 11 families with children from this church, 10 of whom moved out of the Bay Area. It may change the entire way we structure our education program. We have to consider other options, and all of that feels uncertain, but it's also this incredible gift to rethink who we are and how we are together. I would invite all of you to pay attention to the changes here at church, for one, and offer any insights and any questions and any wonderings and any hopes that you have that come up in the midst of this. I'd invite you to be present to the places of transition here and in the world and in your own life. Maybe with a little more insight, I would hope after today about how to identify those places of transition and how to be okay in them. Lynn Unger, who is an incredible poet and a Unitarian Universalist, wrote a poem called Afterwards. It's the last poem in a collection that she wrote about during the pandemic. And it's this poem in which a grandmother is telling her granddaughter, way after this moment in time, what this time was like. And the grandmother tells her everything about the lost dancing and singing in the world, the world going dim, the loss of lives, playgrounds and concert halls and stadiums that went silent. But Grandma, the girl asked, how did you do it? 
How did you make it through? It wasn't easy, the woman replied. But at some point, we decided we were more attached to living than to our old ideas about the way things were supposed to be. Blessings to us all in our liminal places and blessings to the life we prepare to grab hold of beyond them. Amen.